Having said that, every day we're chasing excellence. We're trying to make it better every single day. So I love that differentiation between, because I think people hear excellence, think that they think like, we, we have to be the best, we have to be perfect, we have to be everything. It's not that at all. It's about how to know how to move the needle every day towards that. And if you're doing that, that to me is excellence. This is episode number 84 with Ben Bergeron. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hi there, everyone. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. In this episode, I get the opportunity to sit down with one of the most well-known gym owners and coaches in the CrossFit community, Ben Bergeron. And this is actually his second time on the podcast. So you may have heard him along with one of his athletes and two-time CrossFit Games champion, Katrin Davis' daughter, back in episode number 56. That was one of my all-time favorite episodes. I love how they've both helped one another develop as coach and athlete. And if you haven't heard it yet, I highly recommend going back to check that one out. But this time, I caught up with Ben to talk about his book, Chasing Excellence, which came out back in the summer of 2017. And we talk a lot about what inspired to write it, how it evolved over the process of writing, and how we can all take the principles that he uses with his athletes, both the CrossFit Games athletes and those regular everyday individuals inside the four walls of his gym, and apply them to our everyday lives. So a little bit of background on Ben before we get started. He's the owner of CrossFit New England, and he's coached numerous CrossFit Games athletes, including champions in five different categories, male and female individual, male and female masters, as well as team. He publishes Poro Gaming for competitors for free through CompTrain, which is followed by thousands of athletes around the world. And he also coaches masters athletes through CompTrain Masters. He's a well-recognized coach in the CrossFit community. Um, He also has opened three successful affiliates, including CrossFit New England and Tilt 1 and 2. He also shares his best practices for affiliate excellence in seminars and immersion experiences for affiliate owners. As I discussed earlier, he's the author of the best-selling book, Chasing Excellence, which is a handbook on how to achieve greatness in your career, relationships, and life through mental toughness, character, and the process. Finally, a few quick reminders. First, if you're enjoying the podcast, you can head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. Finally, please remember that although I'm now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and it does not provide medical advice. So here we go. Let's get started with episode number 84 of Pursuing Health featuring Ben Bergeron. Well, welcome back to Pursuing Health. I'm super excited to be here today again with Ben Bergeron. This is his second appearance on the podcast, so thank you for coming back. (laughs) 
Thanks. Yeah, it's a, this is my first time doing a repeat appearance on a podcast. Wow, I'm very honored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had a great episode last time with Catherine, and now you're back. I want to talk all about your book, which came out at this year's CrossFit Games. Um, and so maybe you could just start off with where did that idea for writing book even come from? When did you start seriously thinking about it? And why now? Why was it this a good time to put some of your thoughts down into a book? Yeah, cool. Um, I've, I've wanted to write a book for a little while, for um, two or three years. It's been kind of my bucket list for every year's mm -hmm. New Year's resolutions was to write a book. But it's one of those things that like is so... Oh, like so kind of like grasping at the stars like you kind yep. of put it out there as an aspirational goal but even when you're saying it you're kind of like I know I'm not going to get around to doing that <laughs> um, you know it's such a big lofty goal that mm -hmm. all the other kind of immediate and more urgent things always push it aside mm -hmm. um, when I came back from the games um, from 2016 um, one of my my best friend um, who's been pushing me to write a book for a while said like, you got to do it now. Like the mm -hmm. fire's never been hotter. You know, I just coached Matt and Katrin to win, uh, the CrossFit games. Yeah. He's like, you have such a good story to tell. You should do it now. Um, and I'll pay for it. Wow. So that's hard to pass so that he, up. <laughs> um, connects me with, um, the people, the, the editor. So he has a really, and the reason he wanted me to do it, cause one of his very good business, um, partners mm -hmm. owns a book publishing company. Okay. So he kind of connected all the dots and, um, set the wheels in motion. And from there, um, you know, spent the better part of that year, um, writing the book. Wow. And how did you actually fit it in? Cause I'm, I know you've talked about kind of how you, how your day normally goes and you're kind of balancing all these different roles of coaching and running your business and spending time with your family. And so how did you make sure you carved out the time to write? Um, it was, it was hard. Um, so I had, um, someone help me with the writing as well. So between the two of us, we put, um, pen to paper, mm -hmm. um, um, figuratively, no one does that now. <laughs> <laughs> or um, typed or right. talked. And we shared a Google doc that we kind of went back and forth. And the first thing we did was, um, kind of the process of it was create an outline. Like okay. what is the mess? The first thing was like, what do we want to be about? And truthfully, that took a really long time. Mm -hmm. I actually wrote, uh, this was the third book I wrote. Wow. So the first two went in the trash a hundred percent. Um, the first one went 100% the trash. The next one we saved maybe 10%. Um, but it just wasn't the tone. It wasn't the message. It wasn't, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a story like it ended up being, mm -hmm. it had nothing to do with the CrossFit games like that actual. Um, so the way it ended up for people that haven't read it, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a narrative of the experience of the CrossFit games of 2016 and each chapter highlights um, certain events, and we pull out the lessons that can be learned from those events, mm -hmm. and they're related back to real life and the way we put in practice in our lives. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the, the model we went with for the first two iterations. The first one was kind of just like a, almost like a pick it up anywhere, and you can kind of jump in, and okay. here's a lesson, here's the backstory, and we finally came up with this narrative um, with characters in it, and it's that's the one I fell in love with, mm -hmm. um, but we didn't get there until our third try. Yeah, third so, time's charm. <laughs> that seems to be. Yeah. Um, so the process was just a matter of carving out the time every day. Yeah. And truth be told, um, other things had to take back seats. Um, it was, it, it was a um, timely um, process. Mm -hmm. It was not uh, seamless. Um, but when we got the ball rolling, 
um, between the two of us, it, uh, we really got this third version and mostly because we've done so much with outlining the other stuff, this final version minus all copy editing, formatting, all that stuff. But the writing process took about three or four months of hardcore. The first two motion, two versions also took three months. Right. So all told <laughs> it was a nine month process. Wow. Wow. And I think that the narrative turns out really well because I think people want to know kind of how the games goes and the behind the scenes and what, what the athletes are really doing in between the events. And so it kind of tells that story, but then like you said, it also really pulls out those important lessons and highlights all the things that you see going on behind the scenes that are either maybe helping people or making it harder for them to be successful out on the floor. Yeah. That was exactly the idea behind it was um, the way it was written originally was not that behind the scenes look Mm -hmm. and it just was too dry. It was too, um, uh, and I've read a couple of like mindset books like that where they try and just, it's chapter of chapter and they always lose me in the middle because right. it comes this repetitive thing. And what we wanted to do was create, um, something that was engaging and people would actually look for the next chapter cause they want to see what happens to these characters. Right. Um, so it actually, I think it worked out really well in terms of, um, engaging the reader. Um, and the stories became almost like the side effect of the story, which right. is kind of nice. Right. Yes. And very easy to read. I, um, I have to admit, I don't, I haven't read a lot of paper books in the last several years because yeah. I normally, I, listen. I, I can imagine yeah, why I listen yes. to all my books, um, unless they're like school books or whatever. But, um, but this is one of the few that I actually could like pick up and read and not want to put oh, down. So it, it turned out very well. Thank you. Um, yeah. We try to keep it also like, uh, I like, you know, I have like all these books, like this is my reading list I'm going through right now. It's like, I don't know if you can see this, but like, um, oh, yeah. you know, like, um, and like, I like, I don't like books like that. You know, mm-hmm. I look like, like short little page turners. Yeah. I like books that you kind of like flip through really quickly. And, um, we want it to be an easy read. I did not want it to be, um, something that people had to like sit down and push through and work through. I want it to be like, I'm going to read this on this flight, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and kind of that type of thing. Sit, sit down in two, three sittings, be able to get through it. Um, and I think that again, that kind of worked out for the best for us. Totally, totally doable. Well, I was hoping that maybe we could dig into some of those lessons. So I kind of flagged yeah. some that really stuck out to me, um, and maybe we can just kind of dig into those a little bit. Yeah, so, I'd love to. I mean, there's so many good ones in here, but. Um, I thought maybe the first one is just, which I think you're well known for, is focusing a lot on character with your athletes and starting, you talk about this hierarchy where you're starting with the person and then the process and then ability and strategy after that. So um, maybe you can just talk a little bit about how you came to that hierarchy, at what point you realized that building an athlete's character was the most important thing. Yeah. So um, just as a reference point for um, for that exact thing is the hierarchy... The top of the pyramid in the um, in the, the peak is um, strategy. And it's what people talk about after a workout. It's like, mm-hmm. did you go unbroken? Did you go touch and go? Did you break up in sets of three? Like, how are you going to do your muscle-ups? You know, it's like, right. that's the strategy. And it's what everyone talks about. But truthfully, it's the least important. Mm-hmm. Does it matter? Uh, absolutely. No one's going to say it doesn't matter. But in terms of the actuality of developing a competitive athlete, it's the least important. The thing below that is just your pure ability. Well, if you want to go you know, 
if you're going to do 30 muscles at a time, you are doing five sets of six. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to do five sets of six. <laughs> right. It's good at muscle ups. Right. So um, the next thing below that, below the strategy, is the ability. It's about getting better at your gymnastics, getting better at your skills, getting better at your conditioning, getting better at your strength, and all those things. And that's usually where most athletes, coaches, or whatever it is, kind of stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, even at the highest level, they work about they work in practice and they've honed their game plan. My thought and the approach I like to take to coaching is I think there's something that's more important, which is the process. And it's something that we've talked about in our last Mm -hmm. podcast, but it's what are you doing on a day-to-day basis? What are you doing around the, um, around the training sessions? Mm -hmm. What does your recovery look like? What's your nutrition look like? What's your sleep look like? What's your mindset look like? What are you doing in training? Are you focusing on the training or are you distracted by something else and or the competition at the end or the results of this training session? Well, to do the things that we're asking you to do in the process is really hard. It's like really, really, really (laughs) hard for you to like have a sleep protocol where you are measuring your sleep and you have a nightly routine, a morning routine, and for you to get done with your six hours of training and then not go home and veg out on the couch, but to go through your recovery protocols of your Normatec and your uh, Compax and your self-myofascial release and you're, it just, it's, it's asking a lot mm-hmm. and we know that. And we also know that people that ha- are able to follow that process have a certain set of character traits, which is where we talk about like better people make better athletes. Mm-hmm. There are people that have humility, like they are willing to be coached. They know that they haven't arrived at greatness's door because if you believe you have, it gets slammed in your face. Right. <laughs> there are people that have patience and they know that they're not going to get the results tomorrow it's not about the re- what you're putting into today. It's not what you're getting out of today. It's what you're putting in. It's people that have resilience and grit and fortitude and competitiveness and all the things that we're looking for. So the thing that we're trying to create at a baseline level, what I'll put the most emphasis into my athletes in the beginning is the emphasis into that person or the character traits. Because without that, if, I, if I'm trying to coach you and you're not hum- humble enough to take the coaching, mm-hmm. well, what are we doing here? Right. Right. If I'm going to give you a program, but you don't have the discipline to follow it, like, what are we doing here? So we'll work on that first. Then to answer your question, where did I first kind of come about from this? It was working with my team. Mm -hmm. So before I coached any individuals, I coached, that's not true. I coached Heather, who Mm -hmm. you competed against in 2010. I think that uh, you beat her by one spot. Were you seventh that year? I was uh, fifth. Oh, fifth. Okay. Yeah. She was eight. Yeah, yeah. So you guys were both in those last right heats there, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, so the way I came about is everyone knows with a team, like the personalities matter so much. Yeah. Like you have to have a meshing thing. You could have a stud athlete and stud athlete, but if they aren't synergistic and they don't get along, mm-hmm. we're going to have major issues. So I worked really hard on kind of turning those five individuals into a fist Mm -hmm. because everyone knows a fist is stronger than five fingers um, and really getting to mesh. But truth be told, I still thought that it was like that was for teams and individuals are different. Individuals is about let's get them better clean and jerks and let's get them better muscle ups. Mm -hmm. And while I was training my team one way, which is really interesting, all about I did so many like team building exercises mm-hmm. and get to like focus and visualizations and getting people to mesh together and building better competitors. I would train my individuals differently Interesting. Until, 
until Katrin came and moved with us. Mm-hmm. So when I worked with Chris Spieler and Becca Voigt and Michelle Latondra and those people I gave like programming to and some competitive stuff. Mm-hmm. Wasn't as deep into like the character building until Katrin moved from Iceland to train with me and she lived in our house. Mm-hmm. And because she was in our house, it happened by default. It just happened. Right. That's what we talk about at the dinner table. We talk about these things. And if she didn't make her bed, we called her out on it. <laughs> and if she um, um, was whining or complaining, we called her out on it. If she didn't have the right mindset, we called her out on it. And that kind of like six months of serious immersion and indoctrination mm-hmm. is really what moved the needle for her. And that was the proof in the pudding for me. Like, okay, it works for a team, but it's not just a team thing. It works for individuals. And that's when I really shifted my focus. I don't say away from the other stuff because I still, it would be irresponsible not to and you have right, to. Right. But I put equal focus on process and character as much as um, strategy and ability. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And I like too how you talk about how these lessons obviously are important for athletes, but they're also things that we can all apply to our lives, no matter what it is that we're doing. Um, and so how would you take that concept? I think a lot of times, even in life, people tend to focus on the strategy or the ability about like, you know, what's your morning routine going to be, or, you know, what is, what are all the projects that you're working on, but maybe putting more emphasis on the process and the character traits that are going to allow you to live that every single day, um, is something we can all benefit from. Yeah, actually, I like it. And I think that uh, you mentioned a morning routine. I, I throw that into the process building. So mm-hmm. I think that's phenomenal. People are working on a morning routine. Mm-hmm. Saying is if you win the morning, you win the day. Yep. And I totally agree with that. Yep. Um, so I love that. That would be a piece of the process that I work with individuals outside the walls of the gym mm-hmm. to kind of make them more productive, fulfilled, happy human beings. Um, but what we're doing, what we do in the gym is just a microcosm um, of what we do in everyday life. Mm -hmm. It's just that the cool part about the gym, we're talking about like regular members. Um, and by regular members, I mean that people that come to the gym that aren't looking to compete in the sport of CrossFit. I could really care less if they improve their Fran time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if they get a better clean and jerk, if they, even to the point, like if they get better biomarkers and drop body fat, like that stuff is, a little bit symptomatic of the stuff that we're really trying to drive for, which is creating humble, hungry, happy people. Mm-hmm. And that's our, that's our motive. That's our mission statement at CFNE is to create it, a family of mm-hmm. humble, hungry, happy people that kick ass into their nineties. That's really <laughs> what we're trying to do. That's awesome. And what we're, what we're doing at the gym is in everyday life, it's really easy to hide. If you have a bad mindset, mm-hmm. nobody knows what's going on. Like, it's like, if you're stuck in traffic, you just sit there and you mumble and you squeeze your steering wheel tight and you're like, I'm going to hate this traffic. (laughs) Nobody knows that, right? Right, right. And same little, like, if a boss kind of throws a project on you at the last minute and you're like, are like, oh my God, I have these plans now, I got to cancel my plans. And you're like, oh, you get all frustrated or you're um, talking to somebody and they are either attacking you or ignoring you or whatever it is. And you you have an emotional response to that. Well. Mm Nobody really knows those things. Maybe not even you, mm-hmm. but we put you in the walls of the CrossFit gym and we have you do um, Fran and then three minutes before we start Fran, we actually say we're doing double Fran and you lose your shit. Like, guess what? 
Like if you, it's really you hard hide. to hide. <laughs> yeah. We can see that. And similar to that is when the workout gets really hard or it's really hot or someone, your jump rope breaks or someone steals your um, pull-up station mm-hmm. or X, Y, Z, the littlest bits of adversity that pop up, how you react to those things is really how you're going to react in real life when any sort of little bit of adversity pops up. So the gym is a training place where we're putting a microscope on your reactions and how you react to these situations. And I choose the word reaction purposely because that's what most people do Mm -hmm. is react. And reactions are immediate, they're spontaneous, they're guttural, they're emotional, they're uncalculated. We are trying to teach our athletes and our members not to react, but to respond. Mm. Responses are thoughtful, they're calculated, they are strategic, and you can see this in athletes even at the highest level mm-hmm. in post-game press conferences. Some athletes, some coaches get up there and give like a rant and a tirade and like the, the, the referees had it out to get us and our, my, my coaching staff just doesn't understand. I want to go in the game and like we're talking about practice and all those things. Yeah. Whereas the real, some really people that we really look up to are much more calculated and methodical and they are putting a little bit of perspective in hindsight. Uh, they can actually see – the way like they're not going to look back and regret things because they're going to do things on a strategic fashion. And what they can do is actually respond tactfully mm-hmm. instead of react emotionally. And that goes into literal things like three, two, one, double Fran, go. <laughs> and like, what? Well, you're like, dude, whatever. I can't, re- I, can't re- re- I, I can't control my environment. I can't control the events. Yeah. I can't control what's happening to me. I can't control other people. The only thing I literally have control over is my response to those things. So it's the same for an athlete at the CrossFit Games, same for an athlete at the CrossFit Gym. It's the same for anybody that gets stuck in traffic or gets coffee spilled on them. It's all the same thing. Yep, it's so true. And it's so true how the games brings that out with the unexpected and, you know, the unknown and unknowable. And still, it still shocks me year after year. There's people who have been there for multiple years that still get so wrapped up in the the hype of it all and not knowing what's going to come next. But this yeah. is a great um, segue. I wanted to read one excerpt. Um, hold on. We were talking about this exact point in the book and the control and kind of you have like this diagram with circles with the things you can mm-hmm. control on the inside and on the outside. And you're talking about being in the warm-up area where just like that an event has been announced with ring handstand push-ups, which is unexpected and you're talking about hearing a lot of athletes buzzing and talking about a lot of these things. Um, and you say, as an elite athlete, there are only five things that you can truly control, your training, nutrition, sleep, recovery, and mindset. If it doesn't fall into one of those categories, I tell my athletes, forget about it. Control the things you can control and ignore everything else. So That's it. It's, yeah. But it's amazing, like you say, how quickly our rea- we react to situations without stopping and thinking about it first. Is this something I can control or... Am I just reacting to the situation? Well, and that's what I, I think. That's why I love the CrossFit game so much. It's almost like Dave knows this mm-hmm. and he's doing everything he can to pull people out. Yeah. That's what yeah. mental toughness is. Mental toughness, people think about is like, you know, people think mental toughness is the ability to push hard when the workout gets hard. It's the people that are gritting and grinding. It's the image of like, the triathlete like crawling to the finish line, mm-hmm. the athlete, the image of like 
somebody like, you know, with their body giving way and still pushing and fighting, that's not mental toughness. That's toughness. That's ability to withstand pain. Yeah. That is not mental toughness. Mental toughness is the ability to continue to focus on those five things regardless of what's going on around you. If you're in last place, are you still going to go in there and compete with everything you have? Mm -hmm. If you're in first place by a mile, are you still going to compete with everything you have? If Dave says, we're getting up at 3.30 in the morning to get on a plane, can you still stay focused on the things that you have control over? And what you hear all the time is like, and the media does it too. It's like, what do you think the events are going to be? What's the next event? How do you feel? Listen to like during the open, how many people are like trying to guess the next workout? That's a distraction. You don't have control over that. Mm -hmm. Focus on you and your best efforts. So that's the thing I love about the games because in the open, it's minimal. It's almost zero. It's your gym, your timeline, your equipment. Mm -hmm. You don't like the way the workout started. Stop and redo it. You know, and in fact, most people get to redo the workout anyway. All right. Regional is kind of in between. Like, it's not the bright lights, but it's not your gym. It's There's real judges. It's not your timeline. I like that. But mm-hmm. still, workouts are announced. It's fairly controlled. The games, the beauty of the games is that it's the opposite of all that. Right. It is, you don't know anything. We're going to try to throw everything at you we can. And how do you adapt? The, I, the one criticism I would have of the games this past year mm-hmm. is it didn't do that the way it had in the past three or four years. Mm-hmm. Every year that element got escalated to the point where it was, you know, Murph in a hundred degree heat right. to now we're getting on planes and going to Aromas to now we are in Madison, Wisconsin. Here's most of the events and they're most of them are in a indoor <laughs> coliseum. Right. right. So it kind of like, I think it, like it took a step back. Yeah. It's tough too. Cause you wonder like how, how far can they take it? Like how many years before we're like jumping out of airplanes and flying to the moon. But at the same time, that element of surprise and not knowing what you're going to have to do until you get there is what makes the games so unique, which I really thought we were going to have to do one year. <laughs> you thought we were going to do, they were going to do what? I thought we were going to have to do that one year for sure, but it had yet Jump to out of an airplane? Yeah. Into, wow. the, into the ocean. I thought they were going to take us out in the middle of the ocean, make us jump out, and then swim in. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> so, I want the, the, the weirder, the crazier, the better. I agree. As long as it's still a valid test. An right. airplane, like, okay, like, you can only jump out one at a time. So right. if everyone's wearing a bracelet with a, a stopwatch on it, I get it. You can do that. But <laughs> make it an even test. Right. As long as it's an even valid test of fitness, it's not like shooting guns because I don't think shooting guns is a valid test. Um, it's a valid test. Like every, I think everything should go. The, the crazier, the better. So it keeps it interesting. Um, so the next part. Yeah, just, it, it, not, it not only keeps it interesting for the spectators, but it um, – it's, it's again, it's a test of, I believe that the, the winner of the CrossFit games should be the, the most physically and mentally dominant athlete. I think mm-hmm. that, and I, I, I want the adversity placed in front of these guys so that they have to deal with that adversity. So true. Otherwise, let's just do, let's just do regionals again, right? It's like, if we're trying to create the greatest breadth and depth, mm-hmm. you have to test for that component as well. Absolutely. Um, the next concept I want to bring up was this quote that, you used in the book, and I've heard you talk about before, um, that says, think like a bumblebee, train like a racehorse. And I love that because I think it is so, so true. And it brings together kind of these two components 
that I struggled with a lot was one, having to have so much confidence in yourself as an athlete, but then at the same time, not being distracted or thinking about what anyone else was doing while you're training right. or while you're competing. Yeah. So the theory behind that is, um, it's actually something I stole from uh, Joe Friel who wrote triathletes training Bible mm-hmm. and I used to be a triathlete. So were you a triathlete? Um, for a very brief period, I did a couple of sprint triathlons. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, read it through that. Um, and again, just like you felt kind of fell in love with that concept and yeah. it resonated beautifully. And the theory is behind it is you train like a racehorse and racehorses have a huge advantage over human beings, which is they do what they're supposed to do to the letter of the law and they don't question anything. And because of that, it's just everything is done to the maximal benefit. Yeah. If we're supposed to do, and racehorses, by the way, know that they're racehorses. Like they know they're different than other horses. They know they're elites. They have special diets. They have special training programs. They wear heart rate monitors. They do interval training. They know when it's race day mm-hmm. and they know it's different the other days and they know their competitors. But what they don't do is when they're walking to the stall for the starting race, they don't look over and be like, whoa, just check out the legs on that one. Like, <laughs> how am I going to keep that? Yeah. It's just not in their repertoire. They can't compare at all, right. which is what we do all the time. It's one of the things that we have a rational mind. It's very different. We have analytical minds with an animal mind. Mm-hmm. So we see Instagram and we see someone do a, you know, a, a girl do a 215 pound snatch and we're like, Oh my God. Like, well, I'm not gonna be able to compete with her. Right. Or she's do like 27 unbroken muscles. We're like, well, okay, so they're going to beat me there. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of like defeat ourselves for no reason whatsoever. So it's that the train horse, the rate, uh, the train, like a racehorse part is like, don't get distracted by the bright, shiny objects Mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. You stay focused on your task at hand. Now I've since realized we do have an advantage over racehorses hmm. because this came to, I went, I talked to one of my members and, um, she came back from visiting her, um, her parents who own a race horse farm, oh, okay. three racehorses. And she was talking to me about it and she was like, you know, they actually have a disadvantage though. And that is they can't tell their coach what they're feeling. Hmm. That's so powerful to me is like, That's true. you know, I, I want a racehorse, but at the same time, we have a huge advantage where every day Katrin can tell me exactly what she's feeling mm-hmm. physiologically and emotionally. For them, they have to do like a blood test and see how much lactate's in their body. You know, they're recovering and right. do a sort of performance metrics. And like we have the huge advantage of that communication level. Right. Um, and the bumblebee side of it is, you know, physics says if you study a bumblebee that with a huge, the relatively huge, big, heavy, fuzzy body and the tiny little wings mm-hmm. that Physics says they can't fly, and that's the theory behind it. But the bumblebee doesn't know that, so it goes right on flying. <laughs> the idea behind that is have this undying belief in yourself, and I don't care what anybody says to you, you do what you do, and you do it to the best of your ability. You want to be a CrossFit Games athlete, and everyone's telling you you can't do it, it takes so much dedication. You're too old. You're too heavy. You don't, you're not strong enough. You don't have the conditioning. You don't have the right coach, the right program. You don't be the bumblebee mm-hmm. and just be the bumblebee and you just keep on going, chugging along at the very best of your ability. And don't question yourself ever about that. Now, again, human nature is the exact <laughs> opposite of that. We're constantly playing that measuring up game. We're constantly, you know, hey, do I have the potential to do this? I really hate the idea of judging people's potential. 
You know, people walk in the gym and the first thing everybody does is size them up. Mm-hmm. This person's walking on day one of, you know, elements. They snatch 225. They're going to go to the CrossFit Games. <laughs> Other person walks in and you're like, they can't run to the 200 meter line. They're not going to be back tomorrow. Well, most of the time we're wrong on both of those assumptions. Mm-hmm. So why do we keep on judging potential? We have no idea what we are capable of, very much less what other people are capable of. You know, I believe that humans are capable and I believe that we are going to, when you call me a, you know, um, a, a freak or whatever it is for thinking that, but like I, we have the capacity to live to 120 years old and run six minute miles at age 100. That's what we have the potential to do. Mm-hmm. We have the potential to re- read each other's minds. We will be able to do this in, I don't know if it's in a, a generation, a decade, or in a hundred years, but it's coming and it's happening. Mm-hmm. So us to say like, that's an impossibility, it can't happen, like, well, people thought the four minute mile was an impossibility. They actually literally thought you would die. It was a human physiological trait that that was the human potential, four minute mile. Roger Bannister breaks it and 57 people break in the next 12 months because yep. it's possible. So I just think that judging potential, you know, not being a bumblebee is um, a real disservice to yourself. So true. And it's so true. The, uh, the things that happen inside the walls of a CrossFit gym that people, you know, do things that they didn't think they were capable of despite still you know, yeah. having this negative self-talk a lot of the times or p- placing certain judgments on themselves or on other people. And so think about, you know, we're still surpassing those expectations. What if we, you know, set our expectations right. more like Bumblebee, think about the things we could do. Love that. It's so, I mean, I could not be more true. Like think of the amazing things that are happening in the walls of a CrossFit gym, despite this self-defeatist attitude that most athletes have on some level of the spectrum, mm-hmm. right? Most athletes go into some workouts Unless it's a wheelhouse, unless they feel really good, they go into it like, oh, gosh, I, this is going to, you know, and something dot, 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 you fill in the blank. Yeah. As yep. a, and everyone's had that feeling like maybe it was a benchmark workout or a competition where you feared that event. You came out of it and it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. And you kind of wish like, ah, I wish <laughs> I had just like gone into that a little more confident. Right. I wish I had attacked that a little bit more. I wish I had dug in a little bit deeper. But my self-defeatist attitude held me back to that before I even started well, you remove that barrier and let's see what's, you know, then let's see what your potential is and what's possible. So true. So true. All right. I want to read one more part. So this is where you're talking about the difference between practice and then deliberate practice, which I thought was very, very interesting because people talk all the time about practice and putting the time in and the reps in and um, that sort of taking you as far as you can go. But there's a difference between just going through the motions of putting the reps in and having more deliberate practice. So you are referencing um, a psychologist, Kay Anders Erickson, and you're talking about this concept of deliberate practice and you say it's characterized by four different elements. So one, it's designed specifically to improve performance. Two, it's repeated a lot. Three, feedback on results is continuously available. And four, it's highly demanding mentally and not necessarily or particularly enjoyable because it means you're focusing on improving areas in your performance that are not satisfactory. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought this was, it's a great concept because I think so many times um, it's easy to fall into that mindset and to feel like, oh, I'm just too mentally exhausted to put in that much effort, but I know I can go through the motions and feel like that's still good enough. 
um, when in fact it's probably not good enough to get us to where we want to be. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think that, um, you know, certainly a distinction between, uh, the deliberate practice and practice. Um, here's what I see even more of a fault inside of CrossFit and the CrossFit gyms, whether mm-hmm. it's games or regular members is that people aren't practicing period. Mm. They're training. Mm. Good point. So, and most people really aren't training. Most people are competing. <laughs> That's, yeah. So if you go into a CrossFit gym, what most people are doing is trying to every single day see how they stack up next to the people next to them or virtually or their buddies or somebody else that they're competing against. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. use every single day that they should be training as competition. Well, competition gives you very little physi- physiological adaptations because mm-hmm. you're going to take every available shortcut and take the easiest road to the best times, not trying to improve for a better performance. So let's say you have a really terrible hitch in your muscle up, right? You, you just like you chicken wing and you break at the hips and you throw yourself through, but you can get five reps that way, mm-hmm. right? Well, a workout pops up like Amanda. And if you're competing, you're going to default to that because if you try and do it better and well, you're going to go slower. And because you're going slower, nobody wants to do that. Right. It's the same thing with like rowing technique we see all the time. People are like, they can pull, you know, 1800 calories, you know, in a workout with terrible technique. Mm -hmm. You try and fix and tweak them and get them more efficient. And it goes down to 1450 or 1500 because it's hard. It's thoughtful. It's a new movement pattern. And they're like, no, 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 I, I got I to gotta go fast. I got to compete. Right. My biggest thing is like athletes should not be competing. They should be spending, splitting the time between training and practice. Training is organic. It's um, meaning that if you like, you, could, you can see it. Like if, as a med student, if yeah. we dissected muscle fibers, we'd see like – we see bigger cross filament fibers. It's um, we'd see more elasticity of the joints. It's things like endurance. We'd have more red blood cells and bigger airways, and um, so it's things like endurance, strength, um, stamina, and flexibility. Mm-hmm. Those things are through training, which means high heart rates, heavy loads, lots of effort on the floor afterwards. You worked really hard. Mm-hmm. But a skill thing, like a neurological thing, things like technique, like form, like agility, accuracy, balance, and coordination. Those things are improved through practice, which means it's low heart rate, controlled, very focused. You have to be thinking about changing your movement patterns. Mm-hmm. And it should be low intensity, low um, um, stress environment, so you're not high. That's practice. Very few people do that. In fact, mm-hmm. we hear all the time, like, if you want to get better at double unders, everyone says, well, double unders are never going to show up by themselves. So you have to be able to do them in a workout. You have to be able to do them when you're fatigued. So here's the thing to do. Right after your workout, pick up a jump rope and try and do 50 double unders. Well, that's training. <laughs> if, you are, if you're good at double unders, that's going to build up your stamina and your endurance. Right. I, that's a great thing. If you can't do three double unders in a row, that's the worst thing you could do because you're going to reinforce bad movement patterns under a high-stress environment. Mm-hmm. The better thing to do is do it before your workout and practice, which is what you do, and deliberately practice. What that means is, it's probably not gonna be very fun, you're gonna make lots of mistakes, you need constant feedback, it has to be very thoughtful, and um, there's one other thing I forgot which mm-hmm. is, what it is right now, but it's, it has to be like really focused. Mm-hmm. One takes incredible mental concentration, the other one takes a lot of um, physical exertion. 
So I don't think enough people are practicing, period, let alone deliberate practice. It's so true. It's such a small part. It's usually, in most people, I think it's usually very a very small part of their workout, or if anything, they'll maybe spend a couple of minutes afterwards, like you said, practicing a skill that they want to work on, um, when in fact, probably that should be more of a majority yeah, of what we're fact, doing. Yeah, I think what most people are doing is when they want to work on that skill, they're training it. Mm. I want you to rope climbs. So what I'll do is I'll do two rope climbs every minute on the minute. Right. That could be, depending on how good you are, that could be practice or it could be training. What I mean by practice is if you want to get better at rope climbs, is set up a 30-inch box, sit your butt on the box, grab the rope, and put your feet on the rope and create a really strong clamp and mm -hmm. let go. Mm -hmm. Put your feet on the box, create a, on the rope, create a really good clamp and let go. Rinse, wash, repeat that for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Never, ever once point yourself up on the rope. That's deliberate practice. And while you're doing it, videotape it mm -hmm. and then review the videotape. And be thoughtful. You have to be thinking about every single one so you're getting better and better and better. As you get a training, it's this combination between thoughtful and our, the conscious and the subconscious. Mm -hmm. And when you go to game time and competition, it should be 100% subconscious. That's being in the zone where you don't have to think about it. Things are just happening and you're finding it. Well, if you're doing that every day here in the gym, you're not going to be getting better because you're subconscious. You're not thinking about getting better. Right. You're just kind of operating that zone. Right. So true. And that feedback part that you said about videotaping yourself or having a good coach who, who's not just there and watching you, but who's really analyzing your small details of your movement and providing feedback is so key. Um, especially I think when a lot of athletes are working out alone or when you watch the video, being really attentive to those details and not just like yeah. looking at how cool you look practicing these movements, but right. how can I actually refine oh, gosh, those movements? Look at this. And you can take your abs. <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, um, and the similar to that is I would really suggest slow motion. Like there's an, yeah. I think slow motion is the very best thing that was for a coach that's ever been invented. It's like, you know, you take this thing that's really complex, fast motor pattern, put it in slow motion and Oh my gosh, the faults just like jump out at you. So true. So true. Um, so we talked a lot about some of these things that are hard to do, like deliberate practice. It's not as cool and fun as competing like right. these character traits, um, like focusing on the things that you can control. Um, and you talk a lot about how these things are hard to do. They're hard to do day in and day out. And so if you are going to be able to do this for an extended period of time, you have to have some level of passion or purpose in what you're doing and why you're training. Um, so I was just wondering, is this something that you talk about at all with your athletes or how do you help them to identify with that or, you know, keep that fire, build that passion and purpose while they're Yeah. Training? So it'd be like, um, it's the same thing in business. It'd be like Simon Sinek. Like you start with why Right. right. that's his whole thing. And I'm a huge believer in that people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. So you're not going to, you're not going to buy into what you're doing. You're going to buy into why you're doing it. So you have to, our, our sport's really, really hard. Like, like newsflash to everybody that's already knows this is like our sport is the sport of tolerating pain, essentially. <laughs> it's like, can you get really uncomfortable? Can you do it longer than this person? Okay, if you do, you're probably gonna make more adaptations, you're gonna perform better in, in events. Like that's a big part of it. If you don't have a why behind that, either you're not gonna enjoy it or your career is gonna be really short-lived. And I this goes beyond like our sport. Like I think a lot of people I know that there's people like golfers mm -hmm. that actually don't like the sport of golf. 
They are, they force themselves out there. They like the idea of golf. Mm -hmm. They like the idea of going out with their buddies. They like the idea of being outside. They like the idea of having a beer afterward. They like the idea of buying clubs, talking about it, honing their skill. They like the idea of the social aspect, but the sport itself, they don't love. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. That's the truth. Like, I don't know if I'd commit to that as my number one passion outside of like my family and work. Right. I think that there's some truth to that with CrossFitters. CrossFitters like the idea of being a competitor. They like the idea of the notoriety and the fame. They like the idea of the recognition. They like the idea of the body that comes along with it. The idea of the capabilities. But they aren't passionate about the day-to-day experiences that takes to get there. Unless you have the why behind that, like why do you want those things? And I believe it needs to be beyond the external motivators, mm-hmm. you know, of like the recognition, the fame, those things. It's got to be something deep inside of you. Now from that, once I explain that to my athletes, I kind of let them go free. Like that's mm-hmm. not for me to determine at all. Right. Like are you doing this to like truly see what you as a human being are capable of? Like phenomenal. That's great. Mm-hmm. Are you doing this to um, make your mom proud or whatever it is? Like everything is for you. Are you doing this for the glory of God? Like, mm-hmm. you know, are you doing like whatever it is that you want to do it for? Like that's great. Let's figure out that why. And we can use that why deeper down, you know, and it'll be a continuing factor that pushes you when things get hard because they're going to get hard. And mm-hmm. I don't mean like the workouts. I mean the day that you wake up and you don't want to go to the gym. You know, that's, you know, when the day that you wake up and you actually, you have, um, you're, you're traveling at a bachelor party in Vegas and you have to do it because it's your brother's getting married and you're the best man. Well, Everyone else is going out and staying up really late and doing the Vegas thing, but you go to bed still at ten fifteen so you can get up and do your six a.m. workout before everyone else gets up. Mm-hmm. Like that's there has to be a why behind some of this stuff. Um, otherwise, it's just like the other the, the the other temptations will take over. So true, so true. Um, I also wanted to ask a little bit about the difference between perfection and excellence because I think sometimes Mm. people maybe get confused by these or perfection is a concept that you know people get very caught up in but I think they're two very different things um and I'd love to hear kind of how you how you define that yeah I I totally agree with that and I I I like to fall back on like the Vince Lombardi quote which is um we are going to um chase perfection Mm -hmm. relentlessly chase perfection Knowing all the while, it's impossible to attain. But if we chase perfection, we can harness excellence. And to me, that's what excellence is, mm-hmm. is suit. It's the day-to-day everything. It's what are you going about today to try to manifest that, that perfection. You were, no, there's no such thing as perfection in nature. There's no such thing as perfection in humanity. There's no thing such thing as a perfect competitor or a perfect season, or a perfect workout, mm-hmm. it doesn't exist, you will never ever become get there. There's no such thing as perfect relationships, a perfect business, there's no such thing as a perfect birthday cake, or anything else. <laughs> but what we can do is we can chase that, knowing we're never ever ever gonna get it. It's a constantly moving target. Mm-hmm. But every day we wake up, what we're gonna say is, I'm gonna do everything in my power to move me towards that. And know that tomorrow it's still going to be equally as far away. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to keep pushing farther and farther along. And what you tend to realize is the more you push that, the farther off you see you are. Like most people join CrossFit and they're like, I'm going to go to the CrossFit Games. 
And then all of a sudden they're like, they get six months into training and they're like, oh my God, like <laughs> getting there's a lot farther than I thought. I thought right. I was even closer than it was. It's kind of like you dig into, you know, I know a lot about nutrition and you start to read about nutrition and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I like, don't I know, know nothing. Anything. Yeah. The more it's you like learn, the, the more you learn, you don't know. The farther you dig into it, the farther perfection, because you see everything that's available yeah. to you. Yeah. You know, working with Katrin, who's won the CrossFit Games twice. Oh my God. Like we are so, so, so far away from where we want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, my business, CrossFit New England, which we've been operating for 10 years at a fairly high level. We are so, it's like embarrassing how far away we are from where we want to be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's having said that every day we're chasing excellence. We're trying to make it better every single day. Mm-hmm. So I love that differentiation between, cause I think people hear excellence. Right. Think that they think like we, we have to be the best. We have to be perfect. We have to right. be everything. It's not that at all. It's about how to know how to move the needle every day towards that. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing that, that to me is excellence. Mm-hmm. And I like that too, because it's sort of a, like an internal barometer where like only you really know if you're maximizing every day. Like you can't yeah. really compare to other people because everyone has sort of a unique situation. And so again, it's like focusing on those things right. that you can control and knowing that you are every single day maximizing the opportunities. Right. You have. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we, if we were to like put that in like concrete terms, right? Like, um, you walk in, you're like every single day you'd be frustrated as hell because you're not perfect yet. Mm-hmm. Cause you see somebody else can do more muscle ups than you or run a faster mile than you or swim faster or lift more weights or, um, whatever it is. And every day you would come in the gym and beat yourself up. Instead, excellence to me is a commitment to the process. So here are the definable, measurable, re- repeatable actions. We want to take every single day. How much effort are you putting towards those? Mm-hmm. Well, the closer and more effort you put towards those, the closer we are to excellence. Really a much easier thing to grasp and hold on to. And the cool part is it's attainable. Like you can do that. You can have an excellent, excellent day without being perfect. What's the biggest thing that you think holds people back from chasing excellence? Um, the, the realization, and we've already talked about it, that um, maximizing that which, which is in your control mm-hmm. is kind of the magic. We want to, we wanna, and it's not even about setting goals. Mm-hmm. It's not even about that. It's truly, it's about like, what are the things that you can move the needle on? What are the things you can't? Mm-hmm. Well, if you can't, like, forget about it. Like, why are you even reacting to it yeah. at all? Right? It's very like um, stoic philosophy type stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus. It's like, that's what the whole thing is founded upon. It's like, like just let the other stuff roll off your back to the point where like, I, you know, I read something this morning about Epictetus who had a, um, he would not lock his doors because to him possessions were nothing. They didn't mm-hmm. mean anything to him. And he had a really fancy lamp that was stolen. So the next so the next day he had to go buy another lamp and he bought the cheapest one he could because he didn't want the feeling of that being – like it's about controlling your emotions, your reactions, everything. Like what can you control and let everything else fall away? Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be bad things that happen to you. That's the one thing that's a for sure in this life. I don't know if your life's going to get easier. I know for sure you're going to experience some hardship before you die. Mm-hmm. Like that's – I don't know if you're going to experience happiness. I know you're going to experience hardship. It's like – it's an unfortunate thing of being a part of earth and evolution. And whatever. <laughs> so 
why are you going to react so negatively when that pops up? Right. So when your boss yells at you or you get a project that you know you have to fill in for somebody else or you're stuck in traffic or someone spills coffee on you or a workout pops to the gym that you don't like, like why do you react negatively to that? It's like you know it's coming. Mm-hmm. No one like is crazy freaked out when it's you know it snows in you know Alaska. They know it's coming or right. when it gets cold. Right. No one no one in Iceland freaks out when it's like all of a sudden dark most right. of the time. They know Although, it's coming. I feel like people still freak out every winter in Ohio and probably in the That's Northeast when they're like, <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, it's yeah. getting cold again. How can this be yeah. happening? <laughs> right. And that's, that's exactly it. Like those yeah. people are not realizing that like it's a part of the natural yeah. life cycle of evolution and humanity that like things are going to get tough. Right. Like, okay, now that we know that, let's move on. I think that's the number one thing is that people instead are focusing on, oh my God, it's cold outside. Mm-hmm. Yup. <laughs> Next. Yep, it's winter in Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Well, I want to finish maybe two more questions before we wrap up. Number one is that the book was all set in the 2016 games. Um, we just wrapped up. I mean, now the 2018 open is just around the corner, but what kind of reflections do you have on the 2017 season or things that you're taking into this upcoming year? Uh, um, holy cow. Like I mean, I'm lot. sure there's a lot, but maybe you can give us yeah, a Yeah, but highlight. even more so like the most that I ever have. Like okay. uh, there was more revelations this year than I ever have in the past. Um, the biggest one um, for me, I take a lot of responsibility for the performance of my athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt performed phenomenally well, obviously. Um, Katrin and um, Cole, in my estimation, um, underperformed relative to their potential. And I know we're not supposed to judge potential. <laughs> uh, and then Brooke, I know that people look at from the outside, Brooke did phenomenally. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to kind of strip her down. We're building up something special. Mm-hmm. We knew that wasn't going to be where she, we knew she wasn't going to match performances probably in years past. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say we knew. I had an inkling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she did phenomenally well, um, given the circumstances. Right. Um, what I've learned from me personally, taking um, ownership and responsibility for the performances, is I need to give more. Mm. Um, me, I, I, I own like four businesses mm-hmm. and I wrote a book, and that's not fair to the athletes. Um, I need to give them more. This is, they've given me so much mm-hmm. in terms of an opportunity to, to be a part of their careers. Mm-hmm. I need to give them more. Now, from there, all the other stuff is kind of for, for me and my athletes. It's the specifics of how we're going to go about training this year. Right. Uh, and a huge, huge takeaways from that as well. You learn, to me, it's either you win or you learn. Mm-hmm. And um, because three of my four athletes didn't win, we learned a lot. A lot. Like, um, I, I also kind of took this year at the games and leading up to it very much with that perspective, which I haven't really before. In years before, it was like be in the moment mm-hmm. and um, coach them in the moment and be there. This year, during the games, um, and maybe it's the benefit of the athlete village was like tw- like a 15-minute walk to the venue. Oh, wow. Um, so a lot of times I didn't get a chance to even walk to the venue to watch their event. So it gave me a lot more downtime. Mm-hmm. I used this year as a lot more introspective okay. of what are we doing right, what are we doing wrong, what can we do differently this next year. So I came out of the games with four pages of notes, which oh. I've never done in years past. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use this year as a big learning um, tool as well. So 
I'm very excited. I, we've completely, I don't say we completely revamped everything. Um, but we're taking very different approaches than we have in the past. That's exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. All right. What are you most excited about that you're working on right now? Aside from your uh, athletes and your new approach. This yeah. Year? So, um, the athletes for sure. Um, I'm, um, I'm actually trying to be a full-time coach. Oh, so, um, I'm trying to, um, still be a part of CFNE run yeah. across New England coach there. I always coach my eight thirty class. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I'm trying to pull myself away from everything else I do mm-hmm. and coach the athletes. I'm incredibly excited about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, second thing, which is probably not as, um, um, pointing to what we're talking about is the two main other businesses that I've started up is, um, comp train, mm-hmm. which is a training platform. Um, that's poised to blow up really soon. Mm-hmm. We're going to do some really fun and exciting stuff on that. So stay tuned. Awesome. Um, and the other one is, um, kind of this leadership platform that I've built for affiliate coaches and, um, business leaders, which is called project elevation. Um, it's Billy, it's kind of took the place of the business of excellence seminars I did. Okay. We expanded that to kind of, um, the theory behind project elevation is to raise your game. Mm-hmm. Um, as a leader, as a business owner, as a coach, and that's going to become a much more, uh, 360 approach in terms of, um, how to run classes, um, how to become a leader, um, best business practices, um, operating systems. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're going to create a, an academy that people can be a part of that we walk them through step by step, week by week, month by month on how to build a center of excellence, wow. not just him. Yeah. Amazing. Well, where can people that. learn about all these things? Yep. So, um, uh, my stuff is always on benbergeron.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, um, comptrain.co and projectelevation.co. Awesome. Um, and that's kind of where the, the three things kind of the three headed monster lives. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'm sure people will check it out and thank you again so much for taking the time. I'm glad we could finally arrange this and sit down and chat. Great. Thank you, Julie. Awesome. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I'm a huge fan of Ben and I love the focus on character development that he has brought to the CrossFit community. I want to hear some of your stories now. How have you applied lessons learned inside the gym to the rest of your life? Comment below this post on my website, juliefouché.com or on social media with hashtag pursuing health. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. This episode is brought to you by MobilityWad. Do you struggle to get into good positions in your training and workouts? Are you looking for a structured routine to help you relax, downregulate, and recover on a regular basis? Well, then MobilityWad may be just what you're looking for. MobilityWatt is the world's most comprehensive collection of guided movement, mechanics, and mobility instructional videos designed to improve athletic performance, increase mobility and flexibility, prevent injury, resolve pain, and optimize recovery. 
Each routine is guided by renowned physical therapist, strength and conditioning coach, and New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Kelly Surrett. I first took Kelly's movement and mobility course in 2013, and since then I've read his books and followed his videos for ideas on how to address my own movement restrictions. Sometimes though, having all of this information can become overwhelming, which is why I think the real genius is in the MWOD subscription. As part of this subscription, you have access to not only hundreds of hours of video content that can be filtered based on your specific questions, but also two daily eight to 15 minute guided routines called Perform and Recover. The perform routines are designed to be done in the gym either before or after your workout, and these focus on position, mechanics, mobility, and motor control techniques to help you optimize your athletic performance and prevent injury. This practice requires tools you would generally find in the gym, like jump stretch bands, lacrosse balls, barbells, and kettlebells. Now, the recover routines are some of my favorites, and these are designed to be accomplished at home. They focus on mobility and soft tissue work, down-regulating the nervous system, resolving pain, and general relaxation. This practice only requires a foam roller, a lacrosse ball, and a mat or your carpet, things that you would find at home. I often do these sessions as a way to wind down from a long day and help myself relax. Mobility Wad is used by the world's top athletes in the NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB, UFC, Premier Soccer League, Pro Rugby, Weightlifting, Running, CrossFit, Obstacle Course Racing, and all branches of the military. It's also the go-to mobility programming for coaches, physical therapists, and recreational athletes who want to learn proven strategies to optimize athletic performance, prevent injury, and enhance recovery. Now you can join the thousands of other individuals who incorporate Mobility Wad into their daily workout routine. It's easy to become part of the MWAD community, but because you're a Pursuing Health listener, you can receive 20% off an annual membership with code Julie Fouché. Just visit mobilitywad.com to learn more. Once again, that's mobilitywad.com, M-O-B-I-L-I-T-Y-W-O-D.com, and you can use code Julie Fouché for 20% off your annual membership. This episode is brought to you by Siete Foods. You know when you meet a group of people who are just so genuine that you can't help but treat them like old friends or family? Well, that's basically how I felt when I met the Garza family, the founders of Siete Foods. Siete is a healthy Mexican-American food brand that makes grain-free and paleo-friendly tortillas and tortilla chips. My husband Danny and his family first met the Garzas at Paleo FX several years ago, and they had an instant connection and have kept in touch ever since. Maybe it's their powerful origin story that makes them so relatable. Veronica Garza was facing a series of major health challenges as a teenager, and her entire family of seven jumped on board to help without hesitation. Together, they adopted a low-inflammation, grain-free diet. As a Mexican-American family living in South Texas, they couldn't imagine living without tortillas, and it wasn't long before Veronica came up with a delicious solution and Siete Foods was born. I've been enjoying their delicious grain-free and paleo-friendly tortillas and tortilla chips for years and finally had the chance to meet the Garzas in person. When I did, they immediately made me feel like a member of the family. Their passion for making the world a healthier place is absolutely contagious, and their generosity spreads to everyone they touch. I'm so excited to have Siete Foods as a sponsor of this episode, and if you're not already a fan of their products, I promise that you will be as soon as you give them a try. They've provided an exclusive discount code for Pursuing Health listeners. Just use code JULIE when you check out on sietefoods.com to take advantage of their offer. Again, their website is sietefoods.com, 
S-I-E-T-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. And you can use code Julie for 10% off your order. Mm-hmm. 